Chapters 19 and 20 of The Life and Doctrine of St. Catherine of Genoa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Life and Doctrine of St. Catherine of Genoa. Chapters 19 and 20. Chapter 19. On one occasion a friar preacher, either to try her, or under some wrong impression, as often happens, maintained that he was better prepared for the divine love than herself, alleging as a reason that on entering religion he had renounced everything external and internal, and therefore he was more free and better prepared to love God than herself and for many other reasons, such as men can adduce, who are more learned than holy and devout, but especially because she was wedded to the world and himself to religion. When the friar had said many things of this kind, an ardent flame of pure love seized the blessed Catherine, with which her heart was so inflamed that she rose to her feet and fervently exclaimed, If I believed that your habit would add one spark to my love, I would not hesitate to tear it from you, if I could obtain it in no other way. Whatever you merit more than I, through the renunciation you have made for God's sake, and through your religious life, which continually enables you to merit, I do not seek to obtain it. These are yours. But that I cannot love God as much as yourself, you can never make me believe. She uttered these words with so much fervor and effect, that her hair burst from the band that confined it, and fell disheveled over her shoulders, so that, in her burning zeal, she seemed almost beside herself, and yet so graceful and decorous was her bearing, that all persons present were amazed, edified, and pleased, and she added, Love cannot be checked, and if checked, it is not pure and simple love. When she reached the house, she said, after the manner in which she was accustomed to speak familiarly with her lord. O oh, love, who shall prevent me from loving thee, not only in the world as I am, meaning the married state, but even if I should find myself in a camp of soldiers, I could not be prevented from loving thee. If the world, or if the husband could impede love, what would such love be, but a thing of feeble virtue and mean capacity? As for me, I know by what I have experienced, that divine love can be conquered or impeded by nothing, it conquers all. Catherine did not intend to say that the path to perfect love was as easy to seculars as to religious, but what she said applied only to perfect and pure love, because such a love breaks through all restraints and conquers all difficulties. On being told that she might be deceived by the devil, she replied, I cannot believe that a love which has nothing of self in it can ever be deceived. And God communicated to her interiorly that she was in the right, saying to her, that if it were possible for one to love even the devil with pure love, free from everything pertaining to self, malignant and odious as he is, he could not harm this soul, for pure love has such virtue that it would deprive him of his malignity. If, then, pure love has such power over one so wicked, who can doubt a soul who possesses it? For if pure and simple love in any creature could be deceived, God cannot be. Catherine being on one occasion greatly troubled and oppressed by her humanity, because she had consented, 
in order to sustain a feeble and infirm life, to use things lawful and permitted, God thus instructed her concerning these things. I never wished you to turn your eyes towards anything but love, and there rest, unmoved by any novelty that may present itself, within and without, but like one dead to all things, because he who trusts in me must never doubt himself. For all the reasoning, cogitations, alternations, and doubts, which man has concerning the spirit, proceed from that very evil root of self, for pure love transcends all human thoughts, and will not live in the soul, still less in the body of man, according to their nature, but will do all things above the capacity of that nature, and all that it thinks and speaks is always above nature. Chapter 20 this holy soul being, as may be inferred from what has already been said, arrived at that state of perfection where she began to taste the fruition of eternal happiness, and regarding those who are still deceived by the passions of the present time, and know not how to hasten from that which is so wholly evil, was moved by compassion, and she said, O oh man, created in such great dignity, why dost thou lose thyself in things so vile? If thou shouldest consider well, thou shouldest easily see, that all worldly things which thou desirest, are as nothing when compared to those spiritual goods, which God gives thee even in this life, which is so full of ignorance. Pray that thou mayest come hereafter, to that celestial country, in which are things which eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, to conceive what God hath prepared for them that love him. If man clearly saw that by well-doing he could gain eternal life, and could imagine how great the happiness of heaven will be, he will always persevere in good, and even should he live until the end of the world, he would never occupy his memory, intellect, or will, on any but celestial things. But God wishes that faith should be meritorious, and not that man should serve him through self-interest and therefore he conducts him by degrees, although he always gives him sufficient knowledge to support his faith. But afterwards, he gives him such an aftertaste of eternal glory, that by a clear and certain perception, which he receives at the close of this life, the faith of man, thus replenished with heavenly delights, almost ceases to be faith. On the other hand, if man could know how greatly he must suffer hereafter for his sins, Hold it for certain that for very fear, he would not only abandon all things, but that he would not commit the smallest sin. But God does not wish to be served through fear, because, if man's heart were filled with terror, love could find no entrance there. It is through love that God does not permit man to behold this dreadful sight, although he does in part discover it to those who are so protected and occupied with that pure love, which casteth out fear, that the doors cannot be shut against them. These souls see in heaven and earth things which tongue cannot express, and they are drawn by sweet allurements and gentle ways. This is what happens to those who allow themselves to be led by faith, and who, recognizing the benignant hand of God in all that befalls them, never reject it, but rather cleave to it strongly and follow it with joy. But those who refuse so much goodness and deliberately persevere in living according to his own desires will have at the moment of their death a vision so painful and so terrible that, 
having in themselves even one defect, they will be unable to endure the sight. And, therefore amazed at such stupidity, the saint exclaimed, O miserable man, who will not provide against a fate so unhappy, and caused only by thine own obstinacy? Thou thinkest not of it, yet know that it will befall thee when it is too late. In heaven nothing can enter which is defiled, and purgatory must cleanse thee before thou canst attain eternal felicity. God, she said, leads man by a road intermediate between these two. He shows him always great tokens of his love, in order to attract man, who is naturally more inclined to act through love than fear. Yet he gives him also the motive of fear, that by it he may more readily abandon his sins. But neither the love nor the fear which God grants him are so great to force man towards him, because it is his will that grace should be accomplished by free will and faith, by which man does all that is within his power. The rest God effects by his good inspirations, which, when once man has yielded his consent, easily incite him to combat his rebellious nature, and, by the help of the great satisfaction which God imparts, to hold it at its true value. And therefore, she said, when I see that God is ever ready to give us all the interior and exterior aids necessary for our salvation, and that he observes our deeds solely for our own good. When, on the other hand, I see man continually occupied in useless things, contrary to himself and of no value, and that at the hour of death God will say to him, What is there, O man, that I could have done for thee which I have not done? and that man will clearly know this to be true. I believe that he will have to render a stricter account for this than for all other sins, and I am amazed and cannot understand how man can be so mad as to neglect a thing of such vast and extreme importance. The vision which she had of all this was not represented to her mind in a manner so weak as that in which it is here recounted, but so clearly that it seemed to her that she could see and touch it. And doubtless he who should behold such a sight would rather choose death itself than offend God voluntarily, even in the least degree. This, however, did not cause her such wonder when she considered the great evils from which men are freed and the eternal joys to which they are destined and sweetly guided. Therefore she held herself in great aversion and did not hesitate to say, in this life I desire neither grace nor mercy, but only justice and vengeance upon the evildoer. She said this with much earnestness, because she saw that the mercy and goodness of God toward his elect infinitely surpassed their gratitude toward him and their sorrow for their sins, and therefore she could not endure that her own offenses against her love should go unpunished. This appeared to be the reason why she cared little about gaining plenary indulgences, not that she did not hold them in great reverence and devotion, or esteem them of great value, but that for her own part, she would rather be chastised and receive the just punishment assigned her, than by this satisfaction be released in the sight of God. The offended seemed to her to be of such goodness, and the offender so much opposed to him in all things, that she could not endure to see anything which was not subjected to the divine justice, that so it might be well chastised. And therefore, to abandon all hope of escaping this righteous pain, she did not seek for plenary indulgences, 
nor even recommend herself to the prayers of others, in order that she might be ever subject, and be punished and condemned as she had deserved. What has just been said can be comprehended in the state of perfection to which the saint had been raised, and in which, being as it were secure of victory, she desired to combat purely for the greater glory of her lord, and, like a valiant soldier, never sought for nor desired any assistance, and being unable to support the sight of an offense against God, she said to him, My love, I can endure all things else, but to have offended thee is a thing so dreadful and unbearable to me, that I pray thee to let me suffer anything else than to see that I have done so. The insults that I have offered thee, I am sorry to have offered, nor can I ever consent to offend thee more. At the hour of death, show me, rather, all the demons with all their plans, for I would think it nothing in comparison with the sight of one offense against thee, however slight, though nothing could be slight which displeases thine infinite majesty. I know for certain that if the soul which truly loves should behold in herself one thing which separated her from God, her spouse, her body would be ground into powder. This I know by means of the extreme and unspeakable torments, which I suffer from the interior fire which burns within me. And hence, I conclude that love cannot endure even the least opposition, nor will it remain with any one who does not first remove all obstacles and impediments, in order to remain with it in peace and perfect quiet. End of chapters 19 and 20